Hello everyone, I'm T.D. Worthington, pastor of the Pathway Baptist Church in Goldsboro, North Carolina, and this is Pathlight. We're so glad to have you tuned in to today's program. If you're listening by way of radio, this is Mother's Day. We're so glad to have you tuned in today and a special day to honor all of our moms. I guess we honor our moms every every day of the year, at least we ought to. And whether your mom's still with you or perhaps she's gone on to eternity, either way, we're so thankful for the roles that they played in our life. And I got a special message today in that regard. But just before the message, I want to remind you of Christian Bible College. If you're interested in continuing your Christian knowledge, if you will, maybe you're studying for the pastorate, or maybe you're studying to be an evangelist or a missionary, or perhaps you're a Christian school teacher or just, or, or a dedicated layman in the church, and you'd like more biblical training and biblical knowledge. Did you know you could earn your degree? I'm talking about a bachelor's degree, master's right on up to a PhD level. Did you realize you could earn that at home relatively inexpensively and relatively easily if, uh, if, if you simply will give us a check, check, check it out, Christian Bible College. Go online, christianbiblecollege.org. You'll find all kinds of information there. If you'd like to, you can call and, and someone can give you more information on Christian Bible College. We literally have had hundreds of graduates over the years uh, in, uh, in, in every state, I, I, I suppose every state in the Union. And uh, since 1980, this has been a program offering a biblically sound uh, Christian uh, program of training for men and women. And if you'd like more information, be sure to check it out. Today I'd like to read a section of Scripture to you from Judges chapter number 5, and I'm picking up the reading in verse number 28. And we're reading about the mother of a fellow by the name of Sisera. Now he was a, he was a fighter. He was a warrior, and in reality he was, uh, he was a terrorist. But uh, we're going to be talking about him and talking about his mom a little bit this morning, and we're going to be talking about the Jewish New Year and the Feast of Trumpets and how that plays a role here in the life of Sisera's mother. Again, in the book of Judges, chapter number 5, verse number 28, the Bible says this, The mother of Sisera looked out a window and cried through the lattice, Why is his chariot so long in coming? Why tarry the wheels of his chariots? Now remember, she's, she's talking about her son. And perhaps you've done that as a parent, you've wondered, or as a husband or a wife, you've wondered where your loved one is. It's time for him to be home. Where in the world is he? And uh, I remember when I was a teenager and just I uh, just got my license and, and, and my old car that I drove at the time had a unique sound to it. And mom could always tell, I can tell when his car pulls down the street. I don't mean down the driveway. I mean down the street. It, wasn't, it, was, it was not that it was that loud. It was more just a unique sound. Dad also said he could tell because my, my, uh, my, uh, my car, for some reason or another, called static on the television screen that they were watching back at the time. I don't know about all that, but I know this. They, 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 they could hear the wheels of my chariot or the motors of my chariot, if you will, as I was coming home. So here's the mother of Caesarea. Caesarea she's looking out the window. She said, where is my son? Her wise ladies, it says in verse number 29, answered her, yea, he returned, uh, he returned to herself. Having they not sped, have they not divided a prey? 
to every man a damsel or two, to Sestira a prey of divers colors, a prey of divers colors of needlework, of divers colors of needlework on both sides, meat for the necks of them that take the spoil. Uh, you know, her friends are trying to comfort her and said, you know, well, the battle might not be quite over, or if it is over, we're sure he's won in victory. Everything's okay. He's dividing up the spoils of war. No telling what he's going to come uh, come back with. As a matter of fact, that's probably why he's late, because they've collected so many spoils of war. They've collected clothing, uh, needlework of all kinds of colors, maybe gold and silver, all kinds of precious things. It just takes a while to load that stuff up. And the chariots are probably having to run a little slow. Your, your son, he's going to be home. Don't you worry about it at all. He's going to be home. Everything is going to be Everything is going to be just fine. Don't you worry at all because Sisera is going is going to be back. No need of worrying about that at all. And they try to give her a little comfort as you as you uh, as you might imagine. Now that is exactly not what happens, but they are trying to encourage her. I want to take a history account back for motherhood if I could for just a moment. You know, all the way back in the book of Genesis, it recounts the story of Hagar, a mother who, unable to stay and watch her son die from a lack of water, can do nothing more than walk away from him in her tears. In the book of Samuel, we're introduced to Hannah, a woman distressed for the child she yearns for, yet cannot conceive. Jeremiah paints a picture of the Israelites suffering under oppression, famine, and disease. Their children are starving in the streets, and those who live are being taken into exile. Over the sounds of their cries, another cry is heard, the sound of Rachel. Jeremiah thirty-one fifteen. Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. Some would later point that as being a prophecy to the slaughter of the innocents when, when, Christ, uh, when Christ was young. There are numerous other women, even if their cries are not specifically mentioned in the Word of God, yet we can hear them if we listen close enough. Sarah, upon learning of the intended sacrifice of her only son, Naomi, mourning the loss of her husband and two children. Bathsheba, whose firstborn son is afflicted with disease and subsequently dies only days after his birth, a punishment for sin that was not his own. The Jewish New Year occurs 163 days after Passover. It's called Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets. The Jews blow the shofar, the trumpet, 100 times on each day of the celebration. Now, that's important for you to remember in this message. They blow the shofar 100 times on each day of the Feast of Trumpets. These blasts of trumpets have been described as typifying many things. But one of those is the weeping of a mother. Yet this Despite the myriad of examples of mothers crying, when Jews blow the shofar, the model of wailing they choose is not the model of Rachel, is not even the model of Sarah. Instead, they chose the cries of a woman who's never even named, and in her only reference, she's known only in relation to her son. 
Her son was Sisera. In other words, it's the one we're reading about right now. It's the mother we're reading about right now. The mother of Sisera, a mighty Canaanite, or we might say Palestinian warrior, and hated enemy of God's people. Now, tradition says she sobbed 101 times. Now, I want you to remember that also. They blow the trumpet 100 times. The mother of Sisera traditionally has wept, sobbed 101 times. Now, in the story, Sisera's mother is introduced as a woman waiting for her son to return from battle with the spoils of war. She looks out the window. She looks through the lattice with impatience, worried about her son's delay, with a sense of foreboding that something bad must have happened to him, with a cry of anguish that expressed the anxiety and alarm of a, of a desperate mom concerned for the welfare of her son. At this point, she doesn't know that her son was killed by another woman. In ancient societies, it was a shame and an act of disgrace for a warrior to be killed by a woman. Thus, when Abimelech was gravely wounded by a woman, he called his armor-bearer and said to him, I'm quoting from Judges 9.54, Draw thy sword and slay me, that men say not of me, a woman slew him. In other words, it was somewhat of a disgrace, but that's what had happened to Sisera, although at this point his mom is not aware of that. The apprehension of Sisera's mom grows as she wonders why she doesn't hear the wheels of his chariots. Now, in response, her attendants assure her that uh, he's late because he's dividing the spoils of war. He's taking care of the business of the aftermath of a great battle that he has he undoubtedly, undoubtedly won. The list of spoils reflects the reality and brutality of war, that he's taking stuff that didn't belong to him, but now he's, he's gathered it because of his victory in battle. The story of Sisera's mother is filled with irony. Initially, the reader feels compassion for this ancient, uh, anxious mother who worries about her son and who never even realized that she was mourning his death. Now, every parent, I'm sure, listening to this can sense her emotion. That morning, her beloved son went out to battle. She's expecting him to come home at a particular time and to come home victorious, just like every other time he's gone to battle. Every other battle he's fought in, he's always come back home. He's never suffered defeat. But today, Sisera is late. But why is he late? The possibilities gnaw at her mind. She paces up and down, staring repeatedly out the window through the lattice, squinting into the distance for a an image, a cloud of dust, or something that may signify the approach of his chariot. Hours go by. She hears no word. They must be dividing the spoils, she says to herself, and, and others assure her that that's probably what happens. She's trying to reassure herself that everything's okay. All the worst scenarios are running uncontrollably through her mind. Where could he be? Could he have suffered defeat? Or maybe he's just choosing for himself one of the captive women. She, she can't stand the tension. She perhaps burst out with a flood of tears. We're all familiar with the scenario of a child returning home late. Most parents have experienced this. Many children have heard the, uh, the speeches about how their parents were worried sick because you were late. And that's very, uh, you know, discourteous of you to do that. What is that feeling? It's the feeling of absolute uncertainty. It's the emotional turmoil of endless possibilities. 
We all find it easier to cope with when we know what, what has happened. If someone is in the hospital, if a person has a car crash, we seem to have more power to deal with it. But the position of not knowing, of recounting the endless worst nightmares through the possibility somehow manifest itself in frantic worry, like the uncertainty of the Emmaus Road disciples, this state taxes the most spiritual among us. We're consumed with an inexplicable sense of dread. The experience of waiting for the doctor's diagnosis of some sensitive medical test is often far more difficult than coping with the results, however good or bad. Cicera's mother is experiencing that traumatic feeling of uncertainty with its dark guesswork, the overwhelming sense of the unknown. This is the basis of her tears, and we can certainly understand. Of course, not all mothers are the same. Some mothers don't seem to care about their kids. A woman who seeks an abortion or an uncaring mother who leaves her kids to fend for themselves seems to be void of natural feeling. A mother of a terrorist, for an example, recently said of her son who kidnapped some Israelis, if they, referring to the Jews, accuse him of this kidnapping, and if it's a true accusation, I'll be proud of him until Judgment Day, she declared. If the accusation that he did this is true. My boys are all righteous, pious, and pure, and the goal of my children is the triumph of Islam, she said. Well, she's hoping that he's out killing people. Sisera's mom was likewise calmed by the reassurance that he must have been delayed because he was busy ravaging women and pillaging Jewish homes. On the surface, perhaps it sounds like she was not a very good mom, but depending on your definition, perhaps she was. A good mother is always concerned about her kids and wants them to be safe and successful in their endeavors. And I suppose if you're a, a heathen mother, you would assume that even in his heathen endeavors, you would wish him success. A good mother has hope for her kids, even when all reason for hope is gone. Most all good mothers have occasion to weep over their kids from time to time, and apparently Sisera had a mother who cared about him very much. But it takes more than that to be a good mother, most likely the mother of Hitler and Stalin and others, uh, wicked and evil men, probably had mothers who cared about them. In fact, the sad truth about many in some societies today is that they are proud of their murderous children and have expressed delight when their kids have died while killing others. Of course, that's not to say that no mothers, and particularly some of the uh, mothers of terrorists today, have any regrets about their children carrying out suicide bombings and things like that. Undoubtedly, there are exceptions. But a large number of women today, mothers of terrorists, feel the same way Cicera's mother's mother did. I hope he had success today in killing Jews and, and ravaging Jewish women. One doesn't need to be a sociologist or a psychologist to recognize that the normal values of civil society are profoundly different from that of such moms. Good, good mothers do not long for the day that their children will murder other children. They don't hope their kids will grow up to be suicide bombers. They, they hope that their kids do not grow up having to murder people or choosing to murder people. They want their kids to live, not to die, not to be mass murderers and, and terrorists. But why are Cicera's mother's tears a model for the shofar, for the Feast of Trumpets? 
The mother of Sisera has no real significance to the Jewish people other than birthing a man who ruthlessly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years before he was finally killed. His cruelty is so well known that his own mother comforted herself as she awaited his return by imagining he was late because he was busy raping and pillaging. His, his death marked a victory in the war that ultimately freed the Israelites from their oppressors and established a period of, well, relative peace that lasted for 40 years. Needless to say, his downfall, the death of Sisera, is not one that normally would be mourned by rational people. So why, at Rosh Hashanah celebration, do they model the cries of the shofar on the cries of an enemy? Why do they remember the tears of mourning for the death of, uh, that is otherwise celebrated? Why, why does that happen? They blow the trumpet to undo her cries. That is the, that's, that's the importance of it. I want you to understand that. She sobs traditionally 101 times. They blow the trumpet 100 times to undo her sobs, to undo her weeps. Sisera is inflicting death and anguish upon the Jewish people. He's killing their kids and abusing their wives and daughters. Even thinking about the atrocities he may have committed seems to bring a sense of comfort to his mother. Can there be a greater cruelty? So the 100 shofar sounds seek to nullify every one of the cries of brutality except one. Because even for the most brutal of mothers, the Jews believe she deserves a measure of respect and compassion as she weeps over her son. Thus, her final sob, the shofar does not seek to nullify. You see, this is the message for mankind today. Perhaps the message goes beyond Sisera. Maybe it's a reminder for all of us to be aware of all the cries we cannot hear. It's not Sisera's death cries we're hearing. It's the cries of his mom. Although his death is justified, he still has a mother. And that mother has a son who will never return home. It's her cries we're obligated to hear. But it's not just her cries we're to listen for. It's all the silent cries we can't hear. Thus we assume are not really there. These are the cries of unintended consequences of innocent bystanders, of unknown victim. Here are the cries of a woman we haven't personally ever harmed or hurt. Here are the cries of a woman we, we, don't even, we, we, we do not even know exists. We don't know her cries are there. Here are the cries of a woman whose name we don't even know. We can often hear the cries of others. The cries of the shofar are for the cries we cannot hear. They are for the cries of people who are suffering and we are not even aware of their pain, even though on occasion we may have caused it, whether intentional or not. It's also a message, I believe, about heaven. You see, there's coming a time, the Bible says, when God will remove all tears from his children's eyes. Revelation 21.4, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. What's interesting is the timing of this event. It happens after the judgment seat of Christ, after the tribulation, after the great white throne judgment, and after the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. Therefore, it appears that tears are still possible up to that point, since it would be foolish to wipe away tears only to have them to return. We can imply from the text that, there, that no additional tears will be shed after the tears are finally wiped away. Although tears in heaven may seem out of character, there are a few times in which they may have place, certainly at the judgment seat of Christ, I think so. 
believers will face a time when the quality of their service will be tested, 1 Corinthians 3.13. He whose works are found to be wood, hay, or stubble will suffer loss, and yet he will be saved, according to verses 12 and 15. Suffering the loss of a reward will certainly be a sad time. I mean, I want you to picture if you turn into the block where you live, where your house is, and you see your house is engulfed in flames, uh, certainly there's going to be sadness. You're going to be thankful that you're safe, that your wife is safe, your kids are safe. They're with you with the car in the car. But yet when you see your lifetime of work go up in flames, there's going to be sadness there and possibly even tears. Thus shall it be, I believe, at the judgment seat of Christ. But secondly, during the tribulation, after the fifth seal is broken, the persecution of believers during the tribulation period intensifies. Many are slain because of their faith in Christ. These martyrs are pictured in heaven waiting for the Lord to enact vengeance upon their death. Although they're in heaven, they're still remembering the occasion of their death and they seek justice. Could these individuals be shedding tears as they contemplate the fate of suffering saints upon the earth? Thirdly, at the rebellion at the end of the millennium. This is the final rebellion of man against God. Since the saints will be ruling the earth under the headship of Christ during this period of time, it stands to reason that they may weep some over man's rebellion. When, 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 when man looks out and sees the rebellion of his fellow man against God, there may be some weeping there for the great white throne judgment. This is where those who have rejected Christ will be judged for their sin. It would appear those in heaven will be able to at least observe those proceedings, although we won't be participating and if so, it's likely we may shed some tears over the lost. And how about this? The loss of a specific loved one. Picture, if you will, a loving mother in heaven. And like the mother of Sisera, she's waiting, waiting for her child to arrive. She's anxiously waiting for the arrival of her family, yet it will eventually become apparent that they are not coming. They have rejected Christ. They have died, but they died without accepting the saving grace which was offered. Like the mother of Sisera, there are mothers, I believe, in heaven waiting for the dead. They are waiting for a loved one who's, who's not coming. One day God will wipe away those tears, and the sad memories which produce them will also be forgotten. Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. Of course, in the meantime, in the meantime, if we listen closely, we can hear the silent weeping of someone we may have hurt. Perhaps it's a spouse. Maybe you've not seen her tears. Maybe you've not seen his tears, but yet you have caused some. Maybe a child. Again, maybe you've not seen the tears. I know many children today, and when I say children, I don't mean just young children. I know many children in their 20s and 30s who are still bearing the wounds of hurt that they suffered from, from a parent. Maybe it's a friend, an acquaintance, or even a stranger that we've caused to weep. Then if we listen even closer, perhaps we can hear the silent tears of those we seldom even consider. We might hear the weeping of, an, of a hungry child, a drug addict, an unwed mother, the tears of the elderly. If we listen closely, we can probably hear the tears of the unborn. Those who are snatched from their mother's womb, torn to pieces through the atrocity of abortion, which is nothing less than murder. And sometimes I think if we listen carefully, we can hear those unheard tears. And we have to learn to listen for their cries and respond with compassion as God grants us the ability to do so.
Then we hear the sobs of those whose tears are perhaps of their own making. They weep, but it's not our fault. We didn't personally cause their pain. We didn't encourage their pain. We may have even warned them that pain was on the way. Perhaps they brought it totally upon themselves, for even in their deepest pain, we see justice being fulfilled, perhaps. But it is for them also the shofar sounds. It's for their 101 sobs we sound the trumpet 100 times. 101 times, save one. For even they merit some compassion from the children of a merciful God. And that's what this scripture is teaching us. The mother of Sisera, tradition says, wept, sobbed 101 times. We, we don't know that to be a fact. We just accept that as a tradition. And the Jews sound the trumpet 100 times. That's 101 save one. Why? Because even the mother of Sisera deserves some compassion. And today, those who are out there that have brought pain and anguish upon themselves, even they deserve some compassion for us. Their 101 sobs, we're going to undo all of them except for one. Sisera, Sisera was a pagan Canaanite warrior bent on the destruction of God's people bent on the destruction of God's people. He wrought terror in his blatant disregard for human life, even women and children. Today he might well be a terrorist. His mother rejoices and finds comfort over the prospects of his acts of terror. Yet even for him and for his family, we only blow the shofar 100 times. As Christians, we're children of a merciful and compassionate God, and we must recognize that everyone deserves at least a measure of mercy. Finally, may I say today, if you're not a Christian, Although you may be an enemy of God, He does not rejoice over your damnation. He does not rejoice over your suffering, nor do we. He has mercy and compassion and grace awaiting you if you will simply accept His free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. And that is the only way, through Christ. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, I pray you'll do so. Won't you do so today, this Mother's Day, a wonderful day for you to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you're weeping today. Maybe, maybe it's pain you brought upon yourself, but you're weeping today. But there's a God in heaven who has compassion and love and grace and mercy to extend to you if you'll only receive it. Well, again, we want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. It's always a, a pleasure to have you with us, whether you're listening by way of radio or on the podcast or ever how you're getting the, the message. We're so glad to have you a part of the Pathlight family. Again, I want to mention Christian Bible College. Check out the website. Won't you do so? We've been uh, sharing a Christian education, a Bible college education with people since 1980, christianbiblecollege.org. Gee, happy Mother's Day to one and all. Until next time, this is T.D. Worthington wishing you and yours a wonderful week as you walk with the Lord. May you be blessed and prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers if you're a child of God. Till next time, God bless. <music>